Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your love toward us and songs that remind us of that. God, thank you that you are a true God, a great God and Savior, a Father in heaven, a Lord and King. And we know you to be those things to us, and so we are here this Sunday morning to worship, even after a very busy, tiring weekend. The Kentucky Derby is an exciting Saturday for our city, and many of us are tired. But we're here this morning, Father, because we want to worship you together. And so, Lord, as we come now to the preaching of the word, we ask that you would bless it, that your Holy Spirit would use it, and we would increase in faith, that we would be believers. Father, we ask for you to do that work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would, please turn in the Bible to Mark chapter 11. If you didn't bring a Bible, it's page 931 in the Pew Bible, Mark chapter 11. It's the first time in a while that we are not in chapter 10. We've been in Mark chapter 10 for such a long time. Um, If you look back, the beginning of that was divorce and remarriage. You know, I did two sermons there. We spent several weeks in chapter 10, and now we're into chapter 11, and it is the triumphal entry. Some of y'all may recall that the triumphal entry is an Easter uh, theme because it is what Jesus did on the Sunday before the resurrection, the Sunday before the Friday he was crucified. That Sunday is known as Palm Sunday, and Easter for us, I believe, was April the 16th. So in, in, it would have been excellent if I could have preached this passage on the Sunday before that, April the 9th. Then it would have been ideal and fitting, but it didn't work out that way. And so in many ways, today is going to be a, um, a leading up to Easter sermon, but we just passed Easter. So I hope you understand that. I want y'all to know that it is fitting, though, that we preach the triumphal entry on Derby weekend, because in this passage, we are reminded that Jesus rides horses. He doesn't ride a horse in this passage. We'll talk about that later, but he does ride horses. But Jesus didn't ride always dreaming, not even Patch, the sentimental favorite. I chose IRAP to win the Kentucky Derby yesterday, and he came in 18th place. So good thing, good thing that I don't get too into it. This passage is about Jesus riding on a donkey. That in itself is a sermon, is it not? The king of the universe rides a donkey. That's humiliating. That is embarrassing. That's our king. That's what he's like. And we thank God for it. Our God who is omnipotent, all-powerful, the Lord Jesus Christ who died on a cross for our sins, who also said that nobody takes my life from me, I lay it down of my own accord. That Jesus who has complete command over every single thing in the universe. Some of his last words to us 
before his ascension, is all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There is nothing, not a single raindrop on Oaks Day falls without the command of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has all authority. And with that much power and lordship and kingship, he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. That's what he's like. And I hope here today that you'll be able to look at this passage and as I preach it, that you would be able to say and feel and believe that's my Savior. And that you would embrace him today like you never have before. That your faith would be real and alive and you would say, this guy, this man, this God is my only hope. He's Jesus, my Lord and Savior, my King. May we get that today out of this passage. Read with me, if you will, in Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the triumphal entry. This is, his, this is Jesus' entering into Jerusalem knowing that he's about to die. He would be arrested, and he would be taken, he would be, built, he would be beaten, he would be crucified, he would die. We know that. He's been saying it time and time again. If you've been here somewhat consistently over the past several weeks, you have heard in chapter 10 and in chapter 9 and in chapter 8, he keeps saying, here's what's going to happen, guys. They're going to come get me. They're going to beat me. They're going to mock me. They're going to kill me, and then I'm going to rise again. He knew it was coming. He knew it was coming. He knew it was coming, and he kept telling them that. You and I see the triumphal entry, the riding into Jerusalem. And every Easter, we're happy to hear people say, Hosanna, blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord. And you and I automatically filter that triumphal entry through knowing all of who Jesus is, right? As the death, burial, and resurrection means so much to us. As the crucified, as the buried, as the risen Lord, as the reigning king, as the one who's seated in heaven. That's the way we think about it. And so we're always like, 
yes, this is awesome. Here he comes and people are praising him. But the question that I've been researching over and over again this past week in preparation for this was, what was so triumphal about the triumphal entry? There had hardly been triumph yet. And so why were they shouting that? And even in, 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 in those good shouts, those praises to God, what were they thinking? Because in all honesty, it's not really what we are thinking. And I'm going to explain that. The triumphal entry is one of the few passages that is in all four Gospels. Matthew tells it, it's chapter 21. Mark tells it here, chapter 11. Luke tells it in chapter 19. And John tells it in chapter 12. That's what Austin read in our New Testament reading. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell us about Jesus entering into Jerusalem. This was the beginning of the Passion Week. This was Palm Sunday on his way to the cross. And they all tell it a little bit differently, and they all include um, some unique, specific details that help us understand it a little bit better. But, but really, you, you need not be confused about it. All it is, is Jesus' three-year ministry is now coming to its end. He's entering into Jerusalem, and within five days, he will be killed. That's all it is. All it is is him riding on a donkey into Jerusalem and some people are there praising him with palm branches. That's, that's it. That's the triumphal entry. But the question is, if he's not died yet, then, then how do they understand him to be so great? Because even the disciples all up through this didn't get that yet. They just didn't understand the idea of redemption. And I want to warn you here today that there's a real attitude, a real type of person in the world that likes to be religious, likes to be churchy, likes to be of God. It's fascinating how many people wear cross necklaces and cross tattoos it's 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 almost like those things are good or or cool but they know nothing about god's wrathful stance against sin they know nothing about the cost and death and punishment that comes for sin And so, they want to be about some of God's things without the very component that brings the redemption. This is kind of what we have going on here. They had heard about it, sure. They weren't placing two and two together to see him as the Lord God and Savior. I want to give you three points today to sort this out. The first, the king is coming and some knew it. If you take notes, the king is coming and some knew it. The second, the Lord is coming and few knew it. The last, God is coming and he will do it. The king is coming and some knew it. The Lord is coming and few knew it. God is coming and he will do it.
Jesus has been traveling. Mark lets us know that. It seems like every time we come to a passage, they're heading somewhere else. And that's what happens here. If you look down at chapter 11, verse 1, they are approaching. They are coming close to Jerusalem. They came through Bethpage. They came through Bethany. They're at the Mount of Olives. And Jesus picks out two. It doesn't tell us who. Jesus picks out two disciples and says, hey, here's what I want you to do. Go on ahead. And when you get into the village in front of you, immediately as you enter it, you're going to find a colt. You're going to find a donkey and a, and, a, and a baby donkey. You're going to see that there. And he says, on which no one has ever sat. Very fitting for royalty, very fitting for a king, that he would only ride on one that no one has ever ridden on. This isn't just a donkey that people ride. This is one that's never been ridden. He says, you'll find one there, and when you do, get it and bring it here. Odd instructions, right? Jesus often was traveling by foot. We don't have many passages that tell us that they were not. But his entry into Jerusalem mattered. You might recall, and I want to turn you there, John quoted it, but I want to show you. Zechariah, you don't have to turn there. But Zechariah, the prophet, prophesied, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Listen to this. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey? Zechariah said that when the king of Jerusalem comes in, he will be humble and righteous and riding on a donkey. Jesus didn't have to ride in on a donkey, but it was God's plan for him to ride in on a donkey, so he would. And since he was going to ride in on a donkey, he was going to fulfill what Zechariah had promised. And you know that all Jews that knew the word of God were looking for this king, this king that was coming, this king who is like David, who would be on the throne forever, this ultimate king, this Messiah king that would be coming. And they knew some of the Old Testament's promises of what would identify him, some of the markers, and one of them was Zechariah 9.9, that when he comes, he will come riding in on a donkey. And so Jesus coming in on a donkey was Jesus' way of letting them know the king is here. The king is in the building. The king has arrived, and many of them knew it. The king is coming, and some knew it. Verse 3, Jesus says, if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? If anyone questions you, if anybody gives you any trouble at all, he says, just tell them that the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. Just like everything in Jesus' life, he had this under control as well. Jesus is not hurried. He's never delayed. Nothing's ultimately in his way. He's got it. He doesn't get rattled. He doesn't get flustered. He doesn't get stressed out like we do. He's got it. And he sends those guys ahead and says, you're going to go here and you're going to go here and you're going to find this there. And somebody may ask you, and when they ask you, just tell them the Lord needs it. Mark, doing an excellent job of letting us know exactly what happened. Verse 4, they went away, found a colt tied at a door, outside in the street. They untied it, and some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing, untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. Jesus knew 
that those people would do exactly what Jesus knew was going to happen. Fascinating. So then they get the cult, they bring it to Jesus, they put their cloaks on it, Jesus sits on it, and here he comes riding in. And verse 8 tells us they spread their cloaks on the road, others spread leafy branches that had cut from the fields, and those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming, listen to this words, blessing, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. When we hear the kingdom of David, we know that the Jews know David to be the best king. He was a good king, but he died. But when David died, we had this promise that David, somebody from David's line, would be on the throne forever. I told you all this last week. If you look back to blind Bartimaeus, look at verse uh, 47, same page, same column in my Bible. When blind Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David. Remember I told you last week that that very title, that designation that Bartimaeus said about Jesus was showing you that he believed that this Jesus was not just a man today like God or living righteous. He believed that this man was the fulfillment of God's promise of a son of David on the throne forever. Jesus is the forever king. Blind Bartimaeus knew that. And I told you last week that he very well may have just picked up and walked with them the rest of the way. Blind Bartimaeus may be here in chapter 11 laying his cloak down cutting off palm branches and crying out blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord but it lets us know they knew him to be a king some did and that's what I'm telling you the king is coming and some knew it now I want to remind you that this is what we have going on throughout the whole Bible is everything pointing to Jesus to being the one okay There are some connections here, all right? Psalm 2 tells us. Psalm 2 tells us about one who is coming and how he will be and how he will reign and how there will be opposition and how he is the son. Remember at Jesus' baptism, God speaks up and says, my son. Remember at the transfiguration just a few weeks ago in chapter 9? Jesus on the mountain there with with Moses and Elijah in the transfiguration, and God speaks then and says, this is my son. This idea of Jesus being the one is throughout the Bible. Blind Bartimaeus knew this. And so there are some here as well that knew that Jesus was the king. And him riding in on a donkey was a clear sign That right there is Zechariah 9.9. That's the fulfillment. They knew he was the king, and they knew that he was coming, and so they're worshiping him. Jesus is a king. You need to know that Jesus is a king. Jesus is one who reigns, and Jesus is one who has a kingdom, and Jesus is one who sits on a throne, Jesus is one who wears a crown. Jesus is the one that people bow down to. But he is more than a king. He is other than a king. And here in this passage, they weren't exactly aware of that. They didn't get that. 
When they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they are quoting Psalm 118. You don't have to turn there. Psalm 118 verse 26 says this, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They understood that God was coming, that a Savior was coming, a Messiah was coming, a King was coming. They understood this. And they identified now Jesus as being, in so many ways, that coming forever king. They cried out what Psalm 118 says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. They understood that. And while they understood that, there were also some things they didn't understand about him. That's why I'm asking, why was it so triumphal? Because here's what's happening. In their mind, they had parts of the Old Testament understood. God has a king that's going to come and he's going to reign over us. A national, political type of hero. They knew he was the king. And they identified him as the king coming into Jerusalem to put people in their place and be the actual ruler. But my second point lets us know that they didn't exactly know him to be the Lord. They knew him to be a king, not the king that you're thinking, not king of kings, but to be the king. They thought he was going to go into the temple and and set up his throne. They thought he was going to reign there. They thought it was going to be a national, political, this is what he's going to do. He's going to be the best king there. That's what they thought. And they totally did not understand that. Point number two, the Lord is coming and few knew it. They knew him to be the king, but they did not know that he was the Lord. They didn't understand that. When I said, what made it so triumphal, remember... I told you that all four Gospels talk about it. Well, listen to this. In Luke's account, Luke chapter 19, it says that the people had gathered there because they had heard about his miracles. They wanted to see. They were still curious. They are puzzled at it. In John's account, John chapter 12, he says that they had heard about the resurrection of Lazarus that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead and they wanted to come and see who it was that raised Lazarus from the dead. So there was this willingness to say there's something special about this guy. We've heard of his teaching. We've heard of his miracles. He must be the king, Zechariah 9-9, riding in on a donkey. But they didn't know him as Lord. They certainly didn't understand what it was going to take once he got there. They had continued to miss this over and over again. They thought he was coming to reign. We know he's coming to die. They just didn't get it. This continued to be a problem. You remember back just a few chapters ago when Peter made the good confession of who Jesus was Jesus starts to tell him about all the suffering and death that's coming. Peter tried to rebuke him. God, Jesus called him Satan and said, get behind me. It's this failure to understand rightly what it's going to take for Jesus to be who he is. You remember the request of James and John just two weeks ago? 
Jesus, when you get into your kingdom and you sit on the throne, can we sit beside you? Remember that? They didn't understand it either. They wanted the the kingdom of God with Jesus as king and, and, and his people right beside him without what it really takes, which means, folks, they didn't really understand sin and they don't really understand redemption. And I want to make sure that that's not the type of church that we are. We have no real godliness. We have no real family of God. We are no real church if we don't understand that the very core of what we are as people is our sins that have separated us from God and our ultra-deep need of forgiveness that comes only through the work of Jesus. If we have Jesus as a king and we have Jesus as one who reigns without his work of giving up his life in love for our sins, then we don't have Christianity. We ultimately don't have the real Jesus. We must not get this wrong, and that's where they were. Andreas Kostenberger says this. He says, despite Jesus' many efforts at teaching them otherwise, they couldn't shake their wrong expectations. They've got their palm branches laid out. They're screaming Psalm 118, 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The king is here. Yes! They had no idea what the next couple days were about to be like. He says they were excited about a national savior who would overthrow the despised Romans once and for all. They had no categories for the idea, listen to this, that victory would come through experiencing rather than inflicting wrath and degrading shame. That's our savior. If you're wanting Jesus to come down and make fun of the bad guys and punch some people in the throat and stick his chest out and say, nobody messes with me. In order to make things right, you don't understand your sins and you don't understand our Savior. He is humble and he is lowly and he lays down his life for sinners. And though, as he says here, Though he had spent many, many times teaching them what must take place, they couldn't shake their wrong expectations. The king was coming and they knew it. The Lord was coming and they didn't know it. They didn't know it. Now granted, there there may have been some who who had really taken to heart what he was going to say, but not many. And we don't know of many. We have Peter, even while it's going on, remember that? Denying him three times. Jesus says they're going to arrest me. They arrest him. Jesus, Peter starts denying him. Thomas didn't believe it so much that he's known as Thomas the Doubter. And even once Jesus was risen, Thomas says, I don't care what y'all say. Until I see the proof, I'm not going to believe it. Jesus had told him so many times. Still didn't believe it. They knew that the king was coming because they understood half of the Old Testament promises. They didn't have a category that the king could also be the Lord, the Savior, the humble one. 
Now as you think about it, they didn't understand quite the humility that we understand. Again, we look at it all in hindsight. But I want to allow that to bring us to my third and final point. The king is coming and some knew it. The Lord is coming and few knew it. But lastly, God is coming and he will do it. Him riding in on a donkey is a complex thing. It's, it's God's plan, and so in so many ways you think, yep, that's right, he's supposed to ride in on a donkey, Zechariah 9.9 said that, everybody would have been looking for that, but isn't it very puzzling that the king, the forever king, the ultimate king, the best king, would ride in on a donkey? Can you imagine when uh, being at a parade and seeing the great ones, the dignitaries, the one with the titles, riding in on something humiliating? When was the last time President Obama or President Trump or somebody like that came riding in on a bicycle? All sweating through their suit and getting their pants legs stuck in a chain and that type of stuff. It'd be humiliating. When's the last time somebody came riding through a parade in a convertible of a cheap little car that was beaten down and missing some hubcaps and embarrassing? This is what Jesus chose to do. Maybe there were some big, strong horses that he could have ridden in on. We see these horses, and I know you're like me, and you watch these close-ups of the Kentucky Derby, and you're in awe at how strong and powerful these animals are, right? And we all say, wow, those horses are beautiful, and they're so strong, and they run so fast. Jesus could have chosen something like that and made it very clear this is who he is. Only the best for him. Now he did ride in on a donkey that no one had ever sat on just as another little taste of how glorious he is. But nevertheless, it was a donkey. Donkeys are stubborn. Mules. Their other name is ASS. These are donkeys. They make weird sounds. They look bad on a farm compared to the other big, strong animals. They're lighter than cows. They're much smaller than horses. They're not as pretty as ponies. They've got big, giant ears. They're weird. When Jesus, the King of Kings, rode into Jerusalem, he was seated on a donkey. And it's not comical. He had a mission to accomplish. If you had a mission to accomplish, right, don't you go and saddle up on the best thing? Don't you strap on your armor and don't you say, let's get it. God is able to say we've got a mission to accomplish. He doesn't need to go get anything that helps him. He didn't have a pistol stuck in his belt. He rode in on a donkey in all humility. That's our God. But let me remind you 
He was making commands the whole way through. You're going to go into here and you're going to find this and they're going to ask you a question. Tell them that I need it and it will all happen. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us that that's what happened. God, the king was coming and they knew it. The Lord was coming and they didn't exactly know it. But God was coming and he was going to do it. Let me share with you just a couple passages that make this very clear. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, that is, taken up on the cross, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. The determination and focus of Jesus is one that only God could possess. Listen to it from John chapter 13, right before he washes their feet. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and, listen to this, and was going back to God. Jesus, in his final days, knew he was about to go back to God. But he knew what they didn't know Step one, step two, step three, step four included the arrest, the betrayal, the mocking, the beating, the crucifying, the burial, and the resurrection. It says in John chapter 13, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Take it a step further. If you're taking notes, Hebrews chapter 12. Listen to this. Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, listen to this, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He knew it. And he did it. God is coming, and he will do it. When they were praising him as king, they were right. They just weren't fully aware of what it was going to take. When they were praising him as king and saying, Hosanna, blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord, they were right. He was coming, but they didn't understand that he was the Lord that would need to suffer and die for their sins. They didn't understand how great their sins were. And if you listen to me, if you don't understand how great your sins are, there's no way you understand how great the Savior is. 
And it just continues to be lip service that Jesus is Lord and Savior. And this is why we have so many people who claim to be Christian but will not repent of their sins because they're not familiar with their sins enough and honest with their sins enough to be able to recognize Jesus for who he really is. But when you come to know that your sins cost Jesus what he did and you see the greatness of God and his commitment to it and his unfailing love for you that he would go through it he would do it he would stick to the plan he would not give up he was the one who prayed father nevertheless not my will be done but whatever your will is God and you knew that Jesus did that for you once all of that begins to click and make sense the rest is history Christ is Lord he did it for me and I will follow him there's all types of great articles out there because it was just Easter here just recently this guy here David Mathis writes the glory of Palm Sunday is not that the long-awaited king parades into town amid the pomp and flair of natural human expectation. This is not a king of unchallenged pedigree, born in a palace, nurtured by world-class tutors, surrounded by accomplished generals, trumpeting into the great city to conquer his foes and lay claim to his crown. Not at all. No, here is a Nazarene, a backwater, purported to have been conceived in shame, a common laborer by trade, riding not on a noble steed, but on the colt of an ass. He comes not to brandish his sword and demonstrate his quality for the popular expectations, but to give his own neck to the knife and display his meekness in uncompromised sacrifice. He comes not to kill, but to be killed accompanied not by generals and soldiers, but by 12 bumbling companions, one of whom will betray him, another of whom deny him, and all of whom will scatter when the real conflagration begins. Only a king on a donkey could truly save our souls, he writes, and fully satisfy us forever. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and many said, that's the king. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and many thought, that's not the Lord. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and God was coming to do what he promised us he would do. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 19, and we're going to end here. As you're turning there, though, please pay attention. At the beginning, I joked and was really not wanting to be irreverent. Jesus was not at all a jockey. I said that Jesus rode horses. That's not technically accurate if you know he rode in on a donkey. For as important as the triumphal entry is, inaugurating his Passion Week, setting us towards the cross in Jerusalem, you see that many didn't understand it. 
If you remember what Austin read in John chapter 12, it said that the disciples didn't even understand the triumphal entry. It wasn't, and listen to, the, listen to me, the, John chapter 12 says it wasn't until after Jesus was glorified that the disciples put all the pieces together and said, yep, that's what that means, yep, that's what that means, and yep, that's what that means. They didn't understand all of it. Perhaps you're here today and you've never really made sense of all this either. Jesus on a donkey, Palm Sunday, Easter, Good Friday, Monday, Thursday. What, what, what is all of this stuff we talk about? And I want to remind you here today that it's not too late for him to become your king. It's not too late for Christ to be your Lord. It is not too late for you to all out wholeheartedly in front of another group of people, in front of this church, for you to commit that Jesus is your God. He is your Savior. He is your Lord. He is your King. All of those things that the Bible says He is, that I'm putting together here today, all of those things, He is and can be for you. It is not too late. Would you make that bold commitment today? And I know for many of you, you're thinking, I don't like to walk in front of a church. I know for many of you, you're thinking, well, I I still believe. I I want you to know that it is important, according to God, for us to not be ashamed of that, to commit ourselves together, to look around a room like this and say, I want to be a committed follower of Jesus, and I want you to help me in it. And some of y'all are right there and need to make that commitment. You need to commit yourself to Jesus as your God, your Lord, your Savior, your King. The triumphal entry brings all of this together. He was coming to die for our sins. But I said at the beginning that Jesus rode horses because he does. We've not seen it yet, but it's coming. And when you do see him riding on a horse, it will be too late if you've not embraced him. There is an urgency on the pages of Scripture for you to get up off your knees, pour your heart out to God, and say, oh Jesus, save me. Make me a man of God through and through. Wash me clean, purge my heart, cleanse my conscience, help me, fix me, redeem me, save me, have mercy on me. And there is coming a time where it will be too late. At Revelation chapter 19, John has a picture of Jesus Riding on a horse. Look at John, look at Revelation chapter 19, starting in verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings. 
and Lord of Lords. That's our Savior. That's our God. And all who trust in Him will be there with Him, safe in His mercy. The triumphal entry isn't the main thing, but it points us to the risen Savior that dealt with our sins for us. But the way you get to heaven and be safe in this warrior, loving Savior, Jesus' family, is by believing that what happened in Jerusalem that Friday after that Sunday was for your sins. What a great Savior Jesus is. If you don't know him, if you're not committed to him, do it today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the scriptures. They didn't know exactly what was happening. They knew some parts that he was a king and he was coming and they praised him for that. They didn't recognize that he was the Lord, but we see that that's what God was doing. Father, for us here today, increase our faith. And if we've never committed ourselves to you and gone public with it, God, give us the strength and the boldness and the confidence to do it today, that we would be saved and trusting in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.